It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to Everyone Talks to Liz. So glad you guys are here. I have a question. Do we have any Creedence Clearwater Revival or John Fogarty fans listening in? Okay, I'm hoping because my favorite song of theirs is Put Me In Coach, right? Put me in coach. And if you think about it, and I was thinking about this, that phrase, put me in coach, represents an attitude successful people from all walks of life, not just the sports world, live by. It's like saying, dive in, take a shot, go for it. Life is short. I mean, those of you who know me know that one of my favorite quotes of all time is from President Teddy Roosevelt, who said, when someone asks you to do something you don't know how to do, say, sure, I can, and then start learning how to do it fast, right? That's exactly what my guest today started doing when he was just a kid growing up the son of a gas station owner in New Jersey. The minute he got a ball in his little hands, he knew his destiny. I mean, notice how I didn't say what kind of ball. That's because by high school, he was a star basketball, baseball, and football player. So what did he choose, right? I mean, that's what I was wondering. Well, he got a full football scholarship to Notre Dame, and there he set school records for passing yards in a season, touchdowns in a season. And right, I mean, you'd think that the NFL would be scrambling for this quarterback, but, you know, life isn't that simple. And one thing for sure, no path to greatness ever is. And once you get there, nothing is promised. Joe Theismann will tell you that. So how did the Jersey kid go from being drafted overall in the fourth round of the 1971 NFL draft to the winning quarterback of Super Bowl 17 and then watch his world crumble with a career-ending injury only to climb right back up to become a star football analyst? You're about to find out from Joe Theismann himself. Joe, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Liz, thank you so much for having me. I am flattered um, that you asked me to have a little time with you and, and talk about some of the interesting trips that we all make in our lives. Oh, man, isn't that the truth? And, and you know, you played 12 seasons with the then Redskins, now Commanders. But I just, you know, I have a trigger warning right here. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> oh, you're laughing. Everybody uh, no, laughs or says I, I, my I sympathy. This. I say this simply because everybody has to like somebody. At least I hope so. <laughs> so and and the you know the Browns have had a, a rough run for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, just a little FYI, you know, people have talked about the struggles of the Cleveland Browns and certainly the quarterback position. And we've had a similar situation in Washington. Matter of fact, since I got hurt, I believe in '85, I believe there have been 43 different starting quarterbacks in Washington. Uh, there's a similar type of a percentage, I guess you could say, in Cleveland. But we refer to Tom Brady as the GOAT, the greatest ever, greatest quarterback ever to play, seven world championships. But actually, Otto Graham had nine championships in Cleveland. Ooh. So as a Brown, you have something to be very proud of. Otto Graham, Lou the Toe Groza, I mean, Cody Risen, my favorites. I love these guys. And okay. now we mentioned, we mentioned those names and all the young people out there going, who? 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 Okay. <laughs> 
my my advice to you is Google his name. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just go Google him. You'll find out a lot. <laughs> See, you guys, you're learning even more than you ever imagined about Cleveland Browns history. All right. So, Joe, let's talk about growing up in South River, New Jersey, the son of immigrants. Your dad was Austrian. Your mom was Hungarian. Do you speak either of those languages? I, I actually I thought I could speak German. I took German in high school thinking, obviously, my father and my grandfather and my grandmother, they all spoke it. And I thought it would be fairly easy. It wasn't. I didn't do very well at all in, in the German language. My mother was Hungarian. And I remember as a kid, I learned the Lord's Prayer in Hungarian before I ever knew it in English, because my, my mom and dad both worked and I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. So, you know, she taught me a little bit. The only thing I oh the only thing I remember now though is my grandmother used to say this to me, Oyo Yishtanem fiu, Oyo Yishtanem. Uh, and it's like, or, no, oye ishtenem fiu. And she's, and basically loosely translated is, um, oh my God, son, you're driving me crazy. And so that's what my grandmother used to yell at me all the time. And, uh, and you know, since since that period of time and, and going back, I, we did a um, uh, and football life. The NFL did a football life. I mean, I had a chance to go back to the house I grew up in. And very little has changed in that house. I, I walked into that house and the memories just came flooding back. I'm sure, Liz, you've been places and all of a sudden you step into that room or step into that area and it's like, wow, here I am, 10, 11, 12 years old, all over again. You, 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 you feel the activity, you feel the energy, you sense it around you. And that's exactly how I felt when I went back to South River. Talk about the first time you picked up well, let's just go with football for the minute. Okay. Was it a bolt of lightning or was it something a little less dramatic? No, it, it was less dramatic. I mean, I was when I grew up, we grew up two blocks from our high school. That's I, all the guys, all those guys grew up together. Uh, my mom wouldn't let me play football at the age of 10 because she was afraid I was going to get hurt. Okay. She wouldn't let me play football at the age of 11. She was afraid I'd get hurt. Finally, at 12, my buddy Tommy Barra, uh, Tommy's a former FBI agent. He comes to the house in uniform. He knocks on the door. And at that time, my last name was Thiesman. Walks up to the door, knocks on the door. My mom answers. She says, Tommy, what's going on? She says, Mrs. Thiesman, we want to show you just how protected we are playing football. We'd love to have Joey play. So he he went to bat for me to become a Pop Warner football player. My number was 52, which oddly enough, totaled seven. It, <laughs> life is so crazy in so many different ways. <laughs> And so that's how I wound up being introduced introduced to football. Um, my next door neighbor also happened to be my cousin, Billy. We were the guards on the basketball team. And my first love was always baseball. I really? loved baseball. Oh, I just loved it. You know, I, I was a part of the little league there. And, uh, you know, I just, I started playing baseball when I was seven years old. Which position? I started playing football. I was a shortstop. I played it. In, I played third base in college because we only had one football. We only had one baseball scholarship at the University of Notre Dame, and a half a scholarship was at the shortstop position. So I wasn't going to play there. So I played seven games of baseball in college, and you cannot find one picture, one picture of me in a baseball uniform at the University of Notre Dame. I've looked and looked and looked, but I did. I swear. <laughs> I, I believe you because you excelled at so many sports. You lettered in high school in all three of them, which is just freaking incredible. But so, so what led you to commit to college football and how many schools were vying for you? 
Well, there were a number of schools. Uh, I was, a, I guess you could say, a high school All-American. We were undefeated our senior year, and and uh, we had a lot of really great football players. As a matter of fact, my wide receiver in high school was this guy by the name of Drew Pearson. So we had some pretty decent people oh, yeah. as well. Um, finally, Drew is in the Hall of Fame where he belongs. But I, I just, I, it just, it became something that I just enjoyed so very much. And uh, when I got recruited to go to college, it was like I limited it to five schools, Penn okay. State, Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Uni uh, University of North Carolina and North Carolina State. My high school coach actually played behind Roman Gabriel, another name people can Google. Sure. L.A. Rams, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was a really good reason to go to North Carolina State. Everybody has different reasons to go to college. Mine was my high school coach had gone there. So that's what I was going to do. I signed at NC State and Notre Dame is today as it was then an independent. So if I wound up signing at Notre Dame, I could have not lost a year of eligibility, which you used to have to do back in those days. Um, so I made a trip out to Notre Dame, another great star by the name of Rocky Blyer was my chaperone when I was at the university. Um, I flew out to Notre Dame. I'd, I'd committed to North Carolina State, so everything stopped. I fly out to Notre Dame. I walk around the campus. Rock takes me around. At that time, they didn't recruit specific positions like they do today. You were an athlete and they made you something else. Matter of fact, as my freshman year, there were 13 quarterbacks on that football what? team. And they became tight ends, linebackers, running backs, everything else, defensive backs. So for me, um, so I fly back after I, my visit at Notre Dame, fly into Newark, New Jersey, get off the plane. My dad says, what do you think? I said, I have to go to Notre Dame. He says, why? I said, dad, it just feels right. And I believe this, Liz, 100%. So often, if we trusted our gut with the decisions that we want to make in our lives, they probably, on a percentage basis, would be better than all the analysis and analytics we put into trying to figure out what we want to do or where we want to go or, or all those other elements that go into life. Well, so I wound up going to Notre Dame. Well, you know, you talk about what you felt in your gut when you walked around. Uh, and I know you predated the legendary Rudy Rudiger, the five foot nothing walk on after whom the movie Rudy's based. Right. I, but was it really like that? The polishing of the gold helmets and that yeah. that spirit that Notre Dame is known for. Spirit and tradition. Mm -hmm. that, if, you, if you were to if you were to ask me name two words about the University of Notre Dame, those two words would be the two words that I would choose, spirit and tradition. We have a great legacy. We have a great tradition. We have obviously Ronald Reagan, um, you know, played the Gipper and uh, all of the history of the University of Notre Dame, Newt Rockdean. You can go on and on and on with the great coaches, Lou Holtz, uh, yes. people that have won national championships there and their traditions that the university has established are, are just incredible. And the spirit of the University of Notre Dame is so unique unto itself. I mean, our marching band is incredible. When they come out of the tunnel, I still get goosebumps a few years later. <laughs> you know, I do, and I didn't even go there. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow 
show with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care. You can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. Okay, so junior year, Notre Dame, you're All-American, academic All-American, in contention for the Heisman Trophy. And and you kind of just touched upon it because you said back then when your buddy came to the door to convince your mom to strong arm your mom psychologically, she was she was mind melding your mom. Uh, you said back then we were Thiesman and he said, Mr. Thiesman. So you're in contention for the Heisman. And that's when is this true? Notre Dame's PR guy said, hey, how about you change the pronunciation of your name from Thiesman to Theisman so that it rhymes with Heisman and you might have a better chance? What for your head? It wasn't even a suggestion. After my junior year, I like we had a really good junior year. Getting ready for our senior year, Roger Valdeseri, who was our public relations director, calls me in the office. He said, Joe, how do you pronounce your last name? I said, it's Thiesman. He said, no, it's not. It's Theisman. <laughs> I said, no, it's not. My last name is Thiesman. He said, no, Joe, your last name is pronounced Thiesman. I said, give me the phone. Call my dad back home in New Jersey. I get my dad on the phone. I said, dad, I got a question for you. So what's that, Joe? I said, dad, how do you pronounce our last name? And like, there's this pregnant pause on the phone. All of a sudden, my dad comes on. He says, son, are you all right? I mean, you're you're a senior in college. You're asking how to pronounce your last name. Are you okay? I said, dad, I'm fine. I really am. I just, just tell me, how do we pronounce our last name? I'll explain it later. He said, Thiesman, hung the phone up, turned to Roger. I said, Roger, look, my last name is Thiesman. I know. I just got the phone with my dad. He said, Joe, I want to tell you something. There's a trophy out there called the Heisman Trophy. He goes the best college football player in the country. We think you have a chance to win that trophy, but we're not just going to count on your athletic ability. Heck no. We're not even going to count on the reputation of the University of Notre Dame, but we think by just changing the pronunciation of your last name from Thiesman to Thiesman to rhyme with Heisman, we can get you that trophy. And so that's how I wound up becoming Joe Thiesman. Uh, It's a brand that's been created for over 50 years. And it's funny how, you know, the branding element enters into a lot of aspects of life, business, our own lives and everything else. But you didn't win the Heisman. Jim Plunkett won, right? Yes, but we kept the name anyway. As a matter of fact, one last element to that. My grandmother was the matriarch of my family, my dad's mom. So I called my grandmother. This is when they first wanted to change. I said, Granny, they want to change the pronunciation of our last name from Thiesman to Thiesman. What are your thoughts? And she said, well, I tell you this. She says, actually, the correct pronunciation is Thiesman. And they're closer than what we have now. So okay. we moved on. And so I'm I'm Joe Theisman. My family's Joe Theisman. I go back home to New Jersey. I'm Joey Theisman. Everybody's last name, everybody's first name ends with a Y. And I am who I am. Bobby, Joey, Tommy, Billy. That's who we were growing up back in Jersey. Jersey boys. I love it. I love it. So you you set quite 
a school record, passing yards in the game, uh, completions in a game, playing the University of Southern California in a torrential downpour in 1970, tied for graduation. And if I'm you, I'm thinking I'm I'm a hot quarterback. I mean, I broke records at Notre Dame. And, and yet you entered not just the NFL draft, but Major League Baseball as well. Why? I, I uh, well, I, I loved baseball. Like I said, it was my first love and a passion. I didn't play a lot in college, but in the summer, I played a lot of triple ABA ball. So I had a chance to, to continue working on baseball. Uh, football was just something that came very natural to me. My arm was very natural. I entered college at 152 pounds, Liz. Wait, I graduate. Wait. I graduated no. college at 172 pounds. I was a skinny, scrawny little kid. I look at some of the pictures of me at the University of Notre Dame, and I look at my waist, and I probably didn't have a 28-inch waist. I swear. And I ate everything. It didn't matter. If it was in front of me, I ate it. And and, and the, ir the irony of all that is I, I played 15 years of professional football, three in the Canadian Football League, 12 in the National Football League, never weighed more than 185 pounds. So they wait, I'm finding that hard to believe because I've looked at a lot of film of you from the 80s and the late 70s, and you're buff. How tall are you? I'm just, a, I always said I was six feet, but I'm not. And now I'm starting to shrink. That's the scary part. <laughs> I was six feet. Now I'm down to 5'11 and, and, and three quarters. But uh, I, they always had me at six feet tall. I was always six feet tall. And I mean, I had 190 pounds, and I never, ever got close to that. That's not usual for a quarterback. They're usually very tall. I think about Bernie Kosar, again, a Cleveland Brown, very, very Absolutely tall. Um, right. yeah. Tom Brady, all those guys. Yeah, they're, today, they're, and, you know, Patrick Mahomes, I just spent a little time with Patrick. He's, he's about 6'4". He's a big guy. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel Jones in New York, another one. Jalen Hurts is not that big. Uh, and, of course, obviously, a guy who's going to go in the Hall of Fame very soon after his fifth year uh, of eligibility is uh, Drew Brees. He's another one that wasn't very big. So much of so much of what we do at the quarterback position has to do with getting the ball out of your hands quickly. You have to make quick decisions. You have to be decisive with the football. You have to make the right kind of decisions. Then you can get the ball out before these big guys start jumping up in front of you. You got drafted in the fourth round, but 99th pick overall. Right. Talk to some of the people who might be listening right now who don't understand the vagaries of the NFL draft. 99th, that is that good? That's not good, is it? I'm no, sorry. it's not good. One's very good. <laughs> One's very 12, good. 12 is very good. 15 is very good. 99 is like, oh, okay, we'll take you. As, but uh, any consolation to that was the fact that the Miami Dolphins uh, had to give up their number one pick to the Baltimore Colts because at that time, Don Shula left Baltimore to go to Miami. So there was compensation, and it was the ah. compensation of a pick. So I was actually the third in, I was the third player taken, but in the fourth round. Um, and I also was taken in the Canadian Football League to play up there for the Toronto Argonauts, which I absolutely loved my time in Canada. I love the people up there. Um, and now I was so I flew down to Miami and Mr. Joe Robbie owned the football team. And Joe Thomas, who was the general manager, was having heart surgery. So I actually, I negotiated the contract myself. Hey, I'm a Notre Dame guy. I can do this. I'm smart enough. I can handle it. No, I couldn't. So <laughs> I found that out later. Obviously, hindsight's 2020. So I wind up, I wind up sitting down with Mr. Robbie, and he says to me, What do you want? And this was my first lesson in negotiations. You never ever quote what you want to someone who asks you what you want. So I said, but I didn't know that. So I said, I want 
You'll love these numbers, 35, 45, and $55,000 and a $35,000 signing bonus. He said, you got it. And I thought, that's not the way this works. We're supposed uh -oh. to have a conversation a little bit. So I go on TV and I come and I do this television show, come heck or high water, I'll be a Miami Dolphin. And okay, fine, all well and good. Um, I wind up then get the contract and they have me paying back my bonus if I can't show up. And, and keep in mind, oh. you, you know, 1967, we had the Vietnam War. So this is 1971 and we're still in a bit of a conflict. So I, I don't know if I'm going to wind up being drafted. I don't know what's going to wind up in my life. So I just said, no, no, no. The bonus is unrelated to the contract. Well, no. The, and then the Toronto Argonauts called me and they said, we want you to fly up here. So I flew up to Toronto. I sat down with uh, Herb Solway, who was the attorney for the team, and Mr. John Bassett Sr. owned the football team. And he said, this is our deal. It's 50-50-50-50, 50,000 each year, 50,000 bonus, U.S. dollars. You sign, but you, if you sign, you have to sign tonight. You cannot leave this country without this contract signed or else it's off the table. Oh, wow. I signed the contract. So I fly back to South Bend, 6 a.m., Eric Parsigian, who was my coach, who was my counselor, whom I never counseled with, um, calls me on the phone and he says, what in heaven's name have you done? I said, I, you know, I, I signed with the Toronto Argonauts. He said, I know. Shula's on a plane right now flying up to South Bend. He wants to meet with you. And he read me the riot act. You had a moral obligation to be a football player. You did this. You did. I said, yay, you screwed with my contract. Yes. I, this is why I say to people, get an agent. Get someone who can take the emotions out of any situations that you might find yourself in that would be ultimately beneficial to you. But if your emotions get involved or you're, as I was, ignorant to what takes place, you know, you're better off. So, you know, Shula hated me. He hated me so much for so many years. But when you look back, the 1971 Miami Dolphins, the undefeated 1972 Miami Dolphins, the 1973 Miami Dolphins, Super Bowls. And and this is what I this is the irony of it all is when I didn't go to Miami, Don went and got Earl Morrill from Baltimore. People don't realize this. I don't know how many people actually realize it unless you're a Dolphin fan. In 1972, Earl Morrill played nine of those games that season, the undefeated season, that 17 and 0 season by the Miami Dolphins. He played nine of them because Bob Greasy was hurt. If I had gone to Miami. That would have been the role that I would have been in. Mm -hmm. But I say to people, I, I couldn't guarantee I could win nine games. So to all the Miami Dolphin fans out there that ever got mad at me for not going to Miami, I did you a big favor. I got you a quarterback who played nine games and won all nine of them and was part of an undefeated well, season. But, but again, you know, jokes aside, and, and, and you look at how the universe works and the experience you had with the Toronto Argonauts probably put you in the position to eventually win the Super Bowl for the Redskins. Am I right? It, hel it helped a lot. Being able to play the game, being able to be involved in the action teaches you an awful lot. Yeah. From the quarterback position, the, the physical pounding you take, your athleticism, making decisions with the ball in your hands, your preparation. These were all new. It was different. It was new. It wasn't, it wasn't collegiate football. It was professional football. So everything was all new. And I, I look at it this way. If I was to read a book on tennis and I was to study that book and I knew everything about that book, and then I played Rafael Nadal, what do you think my chances are? 
so to me, you have to be involved. And this is one of the situations that we have with young quarterbacks in the National Football League. If you haven't played, you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, you haven't experienced it. If you haven't experienced it, you have nothing to grow from. And that goes for, that goes, Joe, for everything, everything not just sports. My dad used to say, uh, experience without theory is like going to ship without a compass. But theory without experience is like never having gone out to sea at all. Exactly. exactly. As a matter of fact, I wrote a book called How to Be a Champion Every Day. And the premise of the book is that the world of sports, the world of business and our own lives all parallel one another. There's so many parallels that are in all three of them as we as we move through the experiences of life, the the highs, the lows, the pitfalls yes. that you have to overcome, circumstances and situations totally out of your control. How do you deal with them mentally? I think the most important asset any person can have is mental toughness. I don't care where you are, whether it's your life, your business, your sport, doesn't you have to be mentally tough because life's going to throw things at you that you have no idea. It's coming. And then what are you going to, how are you going to handle it? So mental toughness, because things are thrown at you, but also the mental courage to grab at things, even if you're not sure it's going to work out. I mean, one of my favorite stories about you is what I have to tell our listeners. They need to hear this. Redskins versus Chicago Bears, 1985. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you guys, you're not going to believe this. You know why I'm laughing. The Skins punter got hurt. And before the coach can even call the backup punter onto the field, you step up and say, put me in, coach. Let me punt. That's Put me in, coach. You're the the quarterback. What made you think that you could punt? Well, well, actually, I I punted a little bit in college. And I actually, you know, not well. I punted in high school. And I used to practice punting all the time. So so we're we're playing the Bears. We've got a a 10-point lead on the Chicago Bears. Now we kicked the ball away from Willie Gall three times, fastest man in football. Now we kicked the ball to Willie. He runs it back for a touchdown. The guy that kicks off for us, Jeff Hayes, is also our punter. He tears the thigh muscle. We don't have a punter. Coaches stand on the sidelines, got this little forlorn look on his face, and it's like, what am I going to do? So I walked up and I says, Coach, you looking for a punter? He says, Yeah. I said, I can punt. He says, You can what? I said, I can punt. How hard can it be? You drop the ball, you raise your foot, boom, gone, no problem. He says, Fine. Next time we punt, we punt. I you punt. I go running on the field. I'm no longer Joe Theismann. I'm, I'm Joe Theismann punter. We get the ball in the 13-yard line, run a running play, gain two yards to the 15. I turn to the sidelines and he wants me to throw a pass. I'm thinking, great. Chances are I'm not going to complete this because I have a personal relationship with the punter. So I drop back, throw the ball into the stands. Oh, shucks. Third and eight. We have to throw again. I don't throw this one in the stands. I bounce this one in the ground because I still have that same relationship with the punter. So now it's fourth down. The guy, the offense runs off the field. The, the special teams run on. And the guys are so saying, hey, Joe, kick it right. Kick it right. I'm going, man, just get it back here. No problem. I'm standing on the goal line in Soldier's Field. And you asked me why I thought I could do this. Danny White was the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. He was also their punter. And I thought if Danny could do it, I could do it. So I'm standing on the goal line. And, and all of a sudden, I call for the snap. And the instant that ball touched my hand, have you ever had your world go into slow motion? Everything just started going, well, now I'll just drop the ball. And so so I I, I dropped the ball and, and I kicked the ball and it flies through the air and hangs in the air. And all it went 16 yards. I'm back 15. 
That's right. As a record holder in the National Football League, I have the worst punt in the history of the National Football League, a one yard net average. But I, I mean, it's like, and, and all, you know, after I kick it, the, all the bears come up and they go, Hey, Joe, terrific, man. We can't wait for you to kick it again. And I bet. I <laughs> get out of hand in a hurry. I can tell you that. But I have a picture, Liz, of my punt and my knee is bent like this, which yeah. it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be straight. And the ball is actually in the picture, like at two o'clock headed towards the stands. So I have that, I have that oh memory. I just love people it. come up to me all the time and say, you know what, Joe, you were a failure as a punter. I say, <laughs> I was not a failure as a punter. I had an educational experience that did not go my way. That's all it is. Because yeah. I believe I believe in having a cup half full, not a cup half empty. It's called spin, and I love it. But, you know, in a way, it's like me, a, a top business anchor, saying, let me do play-by-play -play for the National Hockey League games. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, it's just not going to go well. Uh, okay, so 1985, pivotal year. Right. You get your first taste of network television. Yeah. I mean, helped you helped call Super Bowl 19, right. Dolphins versus the Niners. Is that correct, 19? That is correct, Super Bowl 19, yeah. Uh, ABC, alongside Frank Gifford, Don Meredith, and you became the only, only the second player to do commentary on a Super Bowl telecast while still an active player. At the time, I guess the first was Jack Kemp. It was Jack Kemp, yeah. That opportunity would prove an important one later on down the road, but you were still an active player, right? Yes, I was. Um, and you're right, it did. It it sort of wet my whistle. I wanted to get into, I thought about broadcasting. I, what I've tried to do, and I try and advise young people that, that think about going on with other careers, mm -hmm. focus on what you're doing right now. And think about something you might want to do, but put your focus into what you're doing. If you don't commit 100% to what you're doing, it becomes very obvious, especially when you're you know, in an athletic endeavor or you're on television. People aren't stupid. Mm -hmm. They listen to telecasts, and today even more so than back when I did it in 85. So I had a chance to be able to do Super Bowl 19. And a little sidebar to that, Liz, is, okay, I don't sign with the Miami Dolphins in 1971. In 1985, the Miami Dolphins are playing the San Francisco 49ers in Palo Alto, California. Don Shula is the coach of the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> Who does he see again? Me. And that didn't go over, that didn't go over real big with Don, to be honest with you. Oh. Uh, so I, you know, it only probably brought up more how much he didn't like me to be honest, to be truthful. But um, yeah, it was a great experience. It sort of wet my whistle for broadcasting. And Rune Arledge, we played the Chicago Bears that year in the playoffs, and he was rooting for us to lose. I mean, he wanted us to lose simply because he wanted me in the booth. Sure, Rune Arledge of ABC Sports. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates 
candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, but in 1985, that was the beginning of 1985. And the end was obviously a, a life-changing experience. November 1985, Monday Night Football game against the New York Giants. The world is watching on live TV when what's been called the most shocking moment in sports history happened to you. A mm-hmm. catastrophic career-ending injury. Uh, I'm not an injury fetishist at all, but I I saw it and I've always wondered what what was going through your mind? Because the whole world for the next 12 days was looking at replays of Joe Theismann's leg snapping like a matchstick. The incident happened. I've had people ask me, did it hurt? I said, well, you know, why don't you hang your leg over a curb? Let me go get my car. I'll be right back. And then you can tell me how much it hurt. Um, the, pain, the pain is absolutely excruciating, but it's instantaneous. And the body is, what I find, the body is such a magnificent machine that from the knee down, my leg was completely numb. I laid there on the field. And um, I, first, thing I, first thing I told Bubba Tyre is our trainer. Bubba's like right here. I, I, I can close my eyes and I can see the faces and Coach Gibbs and Bubba. I can see them all right there. And and I first thing I said to Bubba was call my mom, tell her I'm okay. Oh. It, was, it was November 18th, obviously 1985, at about 10:05 p.m. And I'm laying there, and and I'm now they now they put me on a gurney, and they start to wheel me out. And I turned to Harry Carson, Lawrence Taylor's standing there, Harry Carson, and I turned to Harry and I said, Harry, I understand you're thinking about retiring. He says, Yes, I am. Joe says, Well, don't you go retiring because I'm coming back. Could be a oh. tough one. And he said to me, he said, Joe, that may be the case, pal, but it ain't going to be tonight. And so we all chuckle about that over time. And then they loaded me into the ambulance gurney. And just as they were loading me in, Art Monk caught a pass right on the sidelines right next to me. And I missed a heck of a football game. It, there's, if you look at the uh, that that outline of that game, it's unbelievable. The play-by-play is incredible. Big yeah. plays, fumbles, and all kinds of great stuff happen on yeah. So they get me to the hospital. They take me out of the, they're unloading me from the ambulance onto the hospital gurney and they forget to pick up my right leg. So here I am lying there. They, they lift me up and my leg just goes boom. And I just turned, I didn't feel a thing. I turned to the attendant. I said, excuse me, can you put the rest of me on? Oh my gosh. They wheel me into the operating room. They brought out, I had a black and white TV with a coat hanger in it. And while they were prepping my leg, I was watching the rest of the football game. It was Monday night TV, so I could get it. So I watched, I was watching the football game. And then when it was over, I turned to Dr. Jackson and I said, you know, put me back together. See, I'd broken my leg in 1972 when I was in Canada, but only one bone. I was back playing in about six weeks. And to me, mentally, I said to myself, this is just a broken bone. I'd broken, I dislocated my elbow. I'd broken my collarbones. I'd broken my nose seven times, broke my hand twice. I've had all these different things happen. So I said, I, I can, I can come back. And I never really, I never really got back to where I could. It took a good two years for me to be able to sort of get out and throw the ball around a little bit, but I'd lost the power in my right leg, which translated to the losing the power in my right arm. 
Well, here's what's amazing. And this goes to what everyone talks to Liz is all about. And that is there is no such thing as a failure or an end, right? Because less than a year later, CBS Sports calls and and you're suddenly a color commentator on television. And, and that was the fresh, brand new start, the the beginning of a, a stellar career as a commentator. I loved it. I mean, you know, I wanted to stay close to the game of football and I didn't want to go into coaching for another reason. In broadcasting, you have access and I'm an information guy. I love to try and learn things. My favorite saying is the day you stop learning is the day you stop living. And so in broadcasting, I had access to every team, every coach, every player, every equipment person, every medical staff, every owner. And it was a chance to learn about the game. And had it not been for Rune Arlich giving me a chance to, to do Super Bowl 19, I don't know if I'd have had the same feelings about wanting to get into the booth and, and do that. I absolutely love that time. You know, Liz, you, you know, your whole podcast is about opportunities and, and moving on. And, you know, had it not had it not been for people that wanted to give me a chance, mm. I would have never been able to have the things I've been able to do. But wow. the other side of it is, is you have to be ready. You yeah. have to be prepared when a change comes. It's easy. It's easy to say, oh, this is too much. People ask me all the time. Hey, Joe, you seem like such an up guy. Do you ever have a down day? Absolutely. You know, life is peaks and valleys. I just choose not to stay in the valley very long. It's a choice. We all have choices. You're going to get dealt a hand that just looks absolutely impossible. But if you look deep enough, something's going to come out of it to get you going. If you're willing to pay the price, if you're willing to, to do the sacrificing that's necessary, if you want it bad enough, uh, you know, life's hard. Life is very hard. It's got great moments and it's got terrible moments. And, and go, going back to my broken leg, Liz, I had become a very self-absorbed individual. I'd had all these accolades, MVP, world champion quarterback. And this is one of my favorite stories. In 1984, as a fourth highest paid player in the National Football League at $1 million a year. Mm -hmm. Today, that's darn near minimum wage. Uh, but And I don't begrudge these guys anything. God bless them. Go get, get everything. But I had become full of myself. And, you know, it's really through the good Lord's graces that I wound up where I did. It was like, okay, Joe, look, you're not on a very good path. You can't make the decision. I'll make it for you. And, and I look back and people will say, what a tragedy it was that your career ended the way it did. No, that was a blessing. It set me on another path in my life where I had an appreciation for people again. You know, you, you get you you sort of get to the peak, you get to the top of the mountain. Like you said, it's it's one step and then it's the next step and it's the next step. I look at life as a ladder without a top rung. Each day I want to climb a rung of the ladder. Each day I want to get going. I want to get going. You know, I, and one of my one of my friends and, and a guy I admire, so it's Tom Brady. And Joe Montana is another one. These are guys, guys I've said they won multiple championships, the Mannings. They they that to win a world championship, everybody I dream about it. But that isn't where it stops. No. What about no. the next one? What about the next one? What about the next one? And the hunger gets greater and greater, to be honest with you, as you move on. Well, one of the points that you just said about, uh, you know, transitioning, you know, people will give you that chance. But, man, do you have to still fight 
and you have to outwork everybody. I have questions about how you do what you do. Number one, preparation ahead of a game, because we all have to fill our brains before a speech or before a pitch or before a sales pitch kind of thing. How do you jam all the players, their numbers, their names, previous big plays, past injuries, and those stats into your mind? Because I've watched you, and you're saying, oh, here's player so-and-so, and and by the way, you saw how he moved his shoulder that way. His great-great-grandfather was a champion curler in Saskatoon. I mean, it's amazing all of the stuff that you have in your mind and at your fingertips. How do you prepare for that? Well, preparation is all part of it. I mean, it came out of football. I think the foundation came for me out of football because I had to prepare game plans. I had to, I had to know game plans. I had to know everybody's position, not mm-hmm. only my own, but other people's. My preparation for broadcasting encompassed about 60 hours a week of study, studying film, talking to coaches, reading articles. And I prepared, if you were to take a poster board and you you put the players on, you, let's say let's say Washington and Dallas are playing. I would put Washington's offense against Dallas's defense on one side and vice versa. And then you put all the players and all their numbers and where they went to school and their heights and their weights and where they were drafted. And in sitting down and visiting with them, you would write write down little notes. And as the game went on, you could refer to little notes. Plus, I I work with incredible people. I work with Fred Goodelli. I work with John Wildhack. I work with Jay Roth and three directors that were absolutely unbelievable and uh, producers uh, who worked very hard in their preparation. So, it just carried over for me from football into what I was doing. I was doing something I love. And our game is so unique because we have so many young new guys that come into it. It's forever changing. You can't get, you can't get stale if you're involved in football no. because it, it evolves and changes so much. That was one of the things I talk to people about now when I do, when I do motivational speeches is to evolve and, and to, to innovate as you go forward. There's four innovations that happened in football, Liz, that I find very impactful. The West Coast offense of the 49ers, the 46 defense of the Bears, the shotgun of the Dallas Cowboys, and the two tight end offense of our Washington football team. Those were four innovations in football. Uniquely enough, every one of those innovations resulted in championships. So mm-hmm. if we just sit, if we just sit pat and allow life to sort of move us along, you're not going anywhere. But if you think of evolving, if you think of innovating, then you have a chance to grow. And that's that's really what it's all about. How do we grow as people? How do, d- d- Growth is part of the process of dealing with situations and circumstances when they arise in your life. Just like it did with you, instead of curling up in a ball and saying, how did this happen to me? I mean, within this year you're doing television, you know, you've got this amazing and lucrative second life career that requires in my opinion, as I just laid out, incredible brain power. But, you know, some former players never get that chance due to CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. This is the brain disorder, for those of you who don't know, that that is likely caused by repeated head injuries. It causes the death of nerve cells. And, of course, you know, you talk about the brain, it leads to all kinds of neuropsychiatric issues, not the least of which is increased suicidal thoughts and and ideas and tendencies is the nfl today doing enough in your opinion joe um to protect players i think they're trying very hard you know the, are they doing enough i think that's very a very difficult question to answer do we ever do enough just like just like we evolve as people the nfl continues to evolve matter of fact one of the things they're considering is basically um 
you know, eliminating kickoffs, uh, eliminating punt returns and starting, you know, they want to adopt something the XFL has. They were just discussing that right now. If, if you fair catch the ball inside the 25 yard lines on a kick on 25 yard line on a kickoff, the ball automatically goes to the 25 yard line. There, you look at the helmets. If you're watching TV now, you look at the the padded helmets these guys are wearing in practice to protect them. I believe, Liz, I believe the NFL is trying so hard to protect the players, both the Players Association and the NFL. The question is, is where does the integrity of what we know the game to be all of a sudden become compromised to a point where it is no longer a contact game? It is that 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 to me is a fine line that they're trying to really walk because we want the game to be tough and and and, and hard. You know, look at look at the hits in hockey. Look at the hits in if you were to take hitting out of hockey, you know what you'd have? The ice capades. <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge hockey fan. I know, but, but saying, there are way fewer fights now. Way fewer. Yeah, there are fewer fights, but you still, but there's still some pretty tough checking going on. Yeah, these guys, these guys. I mean, and it's it's no one, no player gets dressed and puts a uniform and and says, "I'm going to go hurt somebody." No, nobody. And Demar Hamlin, thank God, he's okay. We saw the Buffalo Bill defensive back go through it. He went through with the yeah. situation, and that entire night, from the time of the injury till the time ESPN went off the air, everybody made the right decisions. Everybody made the right decision for DeMar, for the people watching, for his family, for the fans, for the players on the field that that were affected by what they saw. I, I thought the coaches did a great job just saying, hey, look, we're done. And, and then the NFL rescheduled, you know, and did what they need. Actually didn't reschedule. That game just never happened. So uh, I, I think that CTE is real. And this is something that I recommend to youth football organizations around the country, around the world is they ought to institute a baseline study for every young person that participates in football. Now you know whether that person has a susceptibility to concussions. Yeah. What happens if they do get hit? And, and at, least you have, at least you have a reference point as they continue to grow and stay involved in the game. And, and Liz, football offers so many life opportunities to learn from. You know, authority, taking taking direction from authority, studying, diet, learning how to win, learning how to lose. You get knocked down, learning how to get up, learning how to rely on that person next to you. Um, there's so many wonderful qualities in the game. And, and I talk to parents quite often. They ask me about what mm -hmm. I, knowing what I went through. I've, I've had multiple concussions. Would I encourage or allow my child or grandchild to be able to play the game? And I say, yes, I would. And we want to do everything we can to protect them. But it, it, a kid hops on a skateboard and they start skating and all of a sudden, boom, they're down. And usually if you if you ask pro ball players, if, if you had to do it all over again, would you play? And many of them say, yes, absolutely. I want to end on a, on a, a, a note where I want to squeeze something out of you that everyone listening can learn from. If you could distill Joe down to the one quality that's given you this ability, basically your whole life to fight back after not just a career ending injury, but perceived setbacks, um, you know, then that not even initially working out 
for another couple of years ended up bringing you to a different place, a higher place in your world. What would you say that one quality is you know, and should be? Liz, it's interesting you asked the question. My, my dear friend, Jimmy Valvano, oh. uh, we do a lot of work with the V Foundation. And I think Jimmy's comments at the ESPYs that night really sums it up for me. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Um, don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Keep fighting. Keep moving forward. Don't back up. I tell people all the time, I'm a windshield guy, not a rear, rear view mirror guy. I, 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 can look, I can look in the rear view mirror and see what I can do better, but I want to look through the windshield and see what's out there in front of me. And for me, it's always, if you wanted me to do something, just tell me I can't. Call it spite, call it pride, call it whatever you want. I just felt like um, I could I could do anything I wanted to. And, and if you believe you can, it, so much of us, so much of it is a self-belief. If you believe that you can do it, you can do it. You did not get where you are today, sitting there going, geez, I wonder if I, I wonder if I want to do this podcast. You know, I want to, I wonder if I want to do these interviews. No. This is a path that you chose and you absolutely love it, and you're the best at what you do. And, and to me, it's it's an honor to be on the show with you. But, you know, I, I've been blessed by so many people. And and don't be afraid to allow people to help you. Well, we what did I start with? I said, put me in coach. Everybody listen to that song. And and by the way, <laughs> dive in even, even if you kick and it only goes one yard. That is the best. <laughs> or retire with that one yard average, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Theismann, once before Theismann from New Jersey. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. Thank you for sharing such life lessons with our listeners. I do appreciate Such it. Such an honor to be with you today. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Okay. So I told him earlier, you guys, that I was totally fangirling over him because I've, but more as a, as a broadcaster. Um, and I just want to say that I am so appreciative that you guys tune in to hear this kind of story, but this is one of a kind, don't you think? Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, as always. And you know where to find me, 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday on the Fox Business Network. It's the Playman Countdown. I'll see you next time. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.